Hey, what's up, guys? I'm David Perret, the host of the Military Millionaire Podcast. Today, we have an exciting episode with Christopher Griffith of DebtDoesDeals.com talking all about the VA loan, the mortgage industry, and debt, and how to utilize this tool known as debt to your advantage to build wealth. And like everything, debt is a tool. It's all on you. So you can either use it to be a good good debt or you can use it to be bad debt. We got some really cool insight throughout this conversation. It's awesome. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for joining the community. If not, welcome back. Show notes, as always, are found at from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave from Military Millionaire, and I'm here with Chris Griffith, a fellow Marine. And uh, you may have you may have seen him in the Facebook Live a few times in the group, and obviously he has a personality, so I invited him on the show, and I'm really excited about this. He has since got out of the Marine Corps, and he's a mortgage broker, and I'm going to leave it there and let him tell the story. So, Chris, welcome aboard. Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, for real, man. Yeah, anytime. Tell us a little bit about yourself, brother. Oh man, I was born in 1985. Eight <laughs> year Marine Corps. Write that down. Uh, medically retired from nothing cool or sexy, way sooner than I wanted to be. Grew up in real estate. My dad was a framer, still frames houses to this day, knew I was going to be around it. And when I got out, parlayed a couple of opportunities into investing and into a mortgage company as a to become a mortgage originator uh, that my stepfather and mom owned in Colorado. Went out there, spent six years, about five years with his company, their company working to grow it and change it from a few different stages. I've actually been through 
mortgage brokerage, mortgage banking, right, and everything in between. Um, and I got to a point to where I had to leave and create my own company, which you see now that does deals are mortgage brokerage licensed in about six states at the moment. So yeah, went through a pretty quick transition out. I had to get a lot of things figured out, which they just don't tell you about when you're active or, or actually a lot of people don't learn about these either. So even if they're not veterans, but tools like debt, um, and words like debt to income ratio and all of these things that ultimately factor into what I perceive to be the biggest currency there is debt. It's also the most efficient for what it's worth, but there was no place to learn about any of these things. So I became a student of the thing that I thought would hold keys to the future I wanted. When, when I wanted to own assets, when I wanted to own real estate and I wanted to push in that direction from what I saw, uh, as a mortgage loan officer, one, looking at people's total circumstance, you know, all of their financial profile, the ones that knew how to own real estate well, I could see kind of how they did it. I could build a past story, um, you know, and asking them direct questions to get direct answers is a lot easier than interrogations. And they told me answers. So I was able to backfill not only theory-based information, and this one's really important, um, I always try to tell people, and I'm not even for sure if this is a good quote, edit it out if it sucks, but I tell them, theory's a cost reality can't afford. Like there's a, there's a measure of theory and reality and everything, and theory's the place I think that we try to hold ourselves accountable for. But all of the things that I thought, once the rubber met the road and I got into the assets, the ownership, the trying to acquire them and seeing how other people did it, reality changed a little bit. So after that time period, I kind of put together uh, my MO, I guess, of how I do things, how I use debt, how I plan for it. I tell everybody, like, the biggest opportunities of your life will be achieved by debt. Do you know how to plan with debt, or are you just saving money and hoping? Yeah, that's cool. I really, I like that. I like the theory is a cost reality can't afford, but I like the, uh, the, the quote that I'm going to quote, I'm going to turn it into a quote where you said that you became a student of the thing that you thought held keys to the future. And that's key. I mean, that's, you know, I tell people all the time, like just learn network and take action because if you can, if you learn something, that's great. Getting around other like-minded people is great. But like, once you pull that trigger, that's where all of a sudden everything comes together. Yeah, absolutely. You have to put pave, you know, feet to the, to the pavement, if you will, or whatever boots the ground and get off away from all those military. <laughs> For me, it came, I mean, you've heard about the five-year VA house hack, and that's what I talked to a lot of people about because it was my first stumbling into the owner-occupied home space, and I had a goal of making a bunch of money. I, I wanted to make a bunch of money with a house because I couldn't buy a lot. I had this VA loan that said zero down, and I thought, sign me up, suckers. <laughs> so I, I, I looked, and I searched, and I and I really got a tactic down that worked. It kind of mirrored some of the commercial stuff that we do um, from front to back. And so what I mean by this is I was going through a process where I was trying to understand the things that not only made um, the, the market do what it was going to do as far as grow, but how do I find the right asset? How do I find the right house? So I broke it down into five tenants, market, location, acquisition, rehab, and sell to simplify it. Um, and I basically began, began to break down markets and broke down Colorado at the time was perfect timing. It was 2012 and I bought a place out there, uh, but bought a house for 332 and then sold it for 810, a little over five years later. So 
did pretty well with that place. Parlayed yeah. that into the house that I'm in now, part of the backdrop you're seeing. Bought a place for seven forty two that appraised at closing for nine forty five. It's the most even out of professionals I've known that I've seen an appraisal come in over purchase price, and it's indicative of large value. So there are a lot of things that go into making real estate valuable, and a lot of them are supply and demand functions, right? And then you have the affordability kind of piece that wavers and sorts through it all for everybody as far as growth or decline. Um, but that was kind of my approach. I, I felt like looking at everything, houses should make me rich. I felt like that should be a true statement. Only I'm looking around with a bunch of people with houses and a lot of them are whining. So what are they doing wrong? What are they missing, right? For me, it worked because in my first part of the Marine Corps, I was uh, 59, 54, air traffic control, communication tech. I did uh, something called an MMT, a Marine Air Traffic Control mobile team. Six of us on the team, we punch out and kind of by ourselves to do airfield stuff, which was cool. Got out of that and went into counter-intel, human intel. So completely different set of skill sets, um, beards like and stuff I, I, from what I hear, you know. But <laughs> that, that process and understanding, um, counter-intel, human intel guys, right, they run interrogations, they do elicitation, they do human source operations. There's a lot of those things where you're assessing motivators and pl finding placement and access to certain things. And, you're, and it's a very specific way to break something down to see how can I exploit this for gain, right? And so that's what I did with a VA loan with a homeowner and not like half these house hacking guys out there. Hey, listen guys, for everyone that's made it to this point, if you have the idea of buying a house with your VA loan and you're not going to live in it, don't it's mortgage fraud. <laughs> God guys, everyone's kind of like, well, how can I buy a quadruplex oh. and not really live in it? I get that question all the time. And I'm like, don't be the one who ruins this benefit for us. I, I'm like, if you do this, do me a favor and tag me on Facebook. Cause I want to see you go to jail. <laughs> mortgage frauds investigated by the FBI. Um, they can find you like a billion dollars. He's like like $10,000. But for most vets, let's be real. $10,000 is a billion dollars, mm. right? And that's what I want to change. I want people to understand that when it comes to achieving wealth in America, homeowners are 44 times wealthier than renters for a reason. And that was data that came from uh, a census bureau after the last major economic downturn, right? As far as the, the housing market, the biggest crash ever. So houses should make you wealthy, but why? Where, how, who, what, right? You got to fill in all the questions from there. Yeah. <clears throat> and, it, I mean, and it all comes down to buying your house as an investment, not necessarily buying your house because you want said house, if that makes sense. Like I, I run into guys all the time who are like, well, I got approved for $700,000 in San Diego and I spent it and now my mortgage is out the rear and I don't, and it's only worth 705. What do I do? And I'm like, or, and I'm like hey, well, make better choices. Yeah. The problem wasn't the house. The problem is how you bought the house. Exactly. You're hundred percent right. And it's just an asset. It's just like debt. A lot of people think debt is a bad word. Like that guys, debt's like fire. Debt's like a gun. Point to a good gun, point to a bad gun. Like it's a freaking, it doesn't, it doesn't have those traits about it. Right. It's what it accomplishes ultimately that gives someone an opinion of it. And so debt itself is a lot like fire. I mean, you wouldn't get rid of every single thing that could cause fire in your house for fear of burning it down. What do you know? You have a fire alarm, you have a fire extinguisher, you have a fire department down the road, you have all of these different things, safety shutoffs and whatnot to make the instrument of fire safer because it's really valuable. That's the same way, right? There are certain things you can do to prepare for debt, right? 
the debt that you're going to be holding that will make it much safer. And understanding the value of where things are moving is one, because there's no reason to carry all of it if you're not going to get anything. You've heard the saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Growing up, every time I heard a grown-up say that, I thought, you're a dumb grown-up. <laughs> you should never do anything that matters. Because if, if you can't have your cake and eat it too, why the hell are you carrying it? Who gave you cake? Why'd you pick it up? Did you buy it? That was stupid. Why are you wasting your end? Like, my mind goes nuts at that point. And so this thing with a house goes the same way. Why on earth would I get into this big, colossal thing just to carry weight when, honestly, for me, my heart's happy on a in a double wide with three bass ponds around it somewhere. Like I don't care about a house outside its capacity to protect my family, nurture us and provide a lot of money because it ought to, yeah. but you can't be overpaying. You can't be paying premium prices or overpriced pricing on these things in order to, you know, to, to try to keep up with the Joneses basically, or because it, you like it or something along those lines. Yeah, just because you qualified for a large mortgage does not mean that you have to buy a house that costs a large mortgage. And if you do buy one, I mean, more, more on you. So everyone's super excited about the loan limit thing coming up in January. I see a lot of people getting themselves in trouble, but I also see that there is some, I mean, you can buy, like I could actually afford a duplex out here in San Diego with that, you know, and there's ways to do that that would make a ton of sense. In fact, I'm really kind of I'm locked in a lease and I'm debating, you know, I'm going to start looking from like, it's going to be worth breaking the lease if I find the right place in San Diego. Cause I feel like, and you know, everything's always super dependent on, you never know, but I feel like the moment that loan limit gets leased or gets lifted in a County where the limit has been reached, but veterans are the main economic driver when the limit comes off, I think the value of real estate around here is only going to go up at least for a little while because everybody's going to start buying these houses they couldn't afford. Military centric towns. You're right. I think they could see like a short lived boon of value, but also I would, you know, expect that value to be kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's not a consistent. It hasn't been around for a long time. So it has to do with how well they hold the assets and a bunch of other stuff, but supply and demand ultimately moves everything, you know? So if it's uh if they, buy, if they buy it poorly and they and a whole bunch of vets dump on properties in San Diego that are over a million dollars, well, yeah. the market will come back. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have a look for a multifamily, but I'm totally content living in here and pocketing half my VAH too. So, yeah, you should be. That's a great idea, man. Or live with a buddy and pocket all of it. No, you're married. You have kids. You can't do that. I know, but I, I have a spare room downstairs and my landlord lets me Airbnb. So making back some of our mortgage that way or our rent, which is totally fine by me. You go back to Missouri, I'll be able to play the fourplex game and it'll cost me like nothing. Yeah. Like from Missouri compared to LA or San Diego, you're looking at like eight bucks. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. It's great. I think cost of living there is like half of what it is here. And I'm like, yeah. And I can go, you know, hunting cause I can have my guns. Yeah. Cost of living is a big deal. Affordability right now. Affordability was my company's word of the year for 2019 for a very specific reason. I think affordability is the word that will show you why some markets are suffering a lot and why some markets are about to prosper a lot. Uh, we're getting ready to, there's a lot of people, I say getting ready to, I don't know what's happened. A lot of people think we're going into something that could be recessionary. It's all, it's really all a debt cycle, right? A natural cycle. I think they're right. I think here and kind of here in the sometime future, we've got some sort of a cycle coming up. It's just like 
little end trying to catch up with big end in the military. When you go on a hump, mm. you short fatties up front, like no offense guys, y'all set pace. That way we don't get strung out on an economic movement. Switch those, put the short, the, the short fat dumpy guy in the very back and you put the tall, fast, lanky guys out front. And when it moves, that's what happens. So you get a slinky, but the guys out front, if they're not careful, they get like a blitzkrieg kind of going on, right? They've <laughs> outrun little end and they ultimately, they need little end because that's where their bivouac stuff is. That's where the water's at. That's where so many supplies that they need in order to function. It's actually an economy. It's a community of people. They're functioning together. And so you have these contraction expanding periods, um, really pretty neat to watch. Um, and I'm not for sure exactly where I was going with that. I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that made some sense for some reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, we were discussing going towards uh, – people People think we were going towards recession. Oh, yeah. So kind of, if, if that is the direction that we're moving in, recessionary, it's not – the metrics out there look pretty good. Consumer-based economy, consumption numbers are up, right? As far as debt goes, CoreLogic reported defaults at an all-time low. People have all-time highs of equity in their property, right? There are all of these good fundamentals out there, but there are certain things that aren't making sense or, or that are indicative of some change, at least. The two and 10-year uh, bond inversion was kind of one of them. It's happened a couple times here very briefly, and people are talking about it everywhere. There are a lot of other stuff and personally, I think that where we're at, I think because of the, the, the amount of time we lost after the last recession and everything, um, kind of staying stagnant for a good period of time, I think we're in a weird period of growth. And I don't think during this next cycle that all markets are impacted equally. Just like you're seeing right now, troves of companies move from California and New York to Texas. You're seeing individuals do it too. And all of them are seeking affordability to grow whether they're individuals or corporations they all want to grow they're still in a growth cycle personally right but they're hitting up against hard pieces that are stopping them elsewhere so whether it's a health company out of california moving down here because down here they can have 40 more employees at the same factory and they all 100 employees make more money now because they're not being stroked out to death by a million dollar 400 square foot house in california so you'll see this throughout the year, I think, play out. And as we go back down into um, a cycle, if there's a down cycle that we happen to hit, I think a lot of people listen to it. If you made it this far, take my advice and look around for well-positioned, small cities or markets adjacent to large ones. So what I mean is like Colorado Springs is to Denver, right? And the reason I say that is because Colorado Springs is still doing its jam now. MSAs, when they grow together, the big one grows for a while, and then the little one grows back. You have this process of diffusion where people leave the big one and go to this one when it's unaffordable, right? So you have all of this going on, but I think if we get to a point where things are looking a little gloomy, I think there'll be plenty of places, and this is important for veterans because a bunch of trolls are going to go there anyways. These small towns, man, the places where they're from, these typically rural areas that have new companies and jobs coming into them. Look at them, pay attention to them, make sure they're well positioned, check out the, the fundamentals behind what's driving the economy, good jobs coming in, city reinvesting in infrastructure, all those pieces. Um, and you may be able to avoid a lot of the problems many people are going to whine about. I think, I think that's pretty cool that you mentioned that. So it's funny. Uh, I realized like last month that there's a market, about two hours from where I'm from, maybe three hours, depending on you know who's driving the car. But uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, right? So I'm, I'm from Little Rock. And Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is the Bentonville, Rogersville, or Rogers area where, where Walmart's from, 
I always knew like, man, Fayetteville, University of Arkansas, that's a big area. That's a great area, blah, blah, blah. I pulled up some data the other day. It's like a 40, the small towns around Fayetteville, because Fayetteville is like surrounded by mountains. So there's only like two ways it can grow. And the small towns north of Fayetteville have grown like 42% population increase in the last five to 10 years. And I'm like, man, property that's values have doubled, tripled. I'm like, I should have seen that coming. I, you know, I knew it. Um, and you're right. I mean, that's exactly it, right? The big market grew couldn't go any further and it just started going and yeah, so you have big market over here it's like boom 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 and then it'll stop and then the little market dances back to it and eventually they merge together but one doesn't grow over the other they it's a give and take kind of a thing yeah it's really cool to watch it is yeah. and if you're buying a piece of property there at the right time it's super cool to watch <laughs> yeah no absolutely oh man yeah that's cool so uh, there's so much to unpack in here. Um, what would you say? So you you bought two very well appreciated houses. What do you think? Like, if you had to give a tidbit for what you're looking for, for I mean, you mentioned the the town, the location, but like, how were you able to increase the value that much in such a? I'm short looking for imbalance of some type. I'm looking for something that I say, well, that ain't right. Right, I'm looking for something with a gross reason why it's way off from par where it ought to be. Right, so in Colorado, I bought a place that was a short sale. I needed a ton of work. Right, I had to do a ton of work just to get it to pass the VA home loan process. Mm. Some of that work was done at dark because it was a bank-owned property, or well, it wasn't bank-owned at the time. But the bank wouldn't let certain repairs be done, or they didn't want uh, since they were short selling it but I had to get those woodpecker holes filled. So I'm over there at night making sure I've got to do it right. Right. But the, damn, I lost my direction again already. Uh, asking, talking about um, like VA advice as far as home buying, you were saying uh, gross. Oh uh, no, no, no. How did I, how did I pick those out? So I'm buying yeah. off of imbalance. Sorry. In Colorado, I bought imbalance of value, local value. Like the house that I bought should not have sold for what it showed, sold for, but one, the market was down, and two, the asset had a lot of problems, and they were trying to move it, so they sold it off under value. Here in Texas, it's a little bit different. I bought a house where I, it was way undervalued, but it wasn't because of the asset itself. It's done, right? It's because of the market. The market wasn't in a place yet to substantiate the value with a regular turnover rate for here. There's not enough borrowers making 120, 130, 140 grand a year in my market, but they're constantly coming in, you know, with new job announcements from companies and, and people migrating down to, to Northern Dallas. The biggest recipient of migration from California, I think has been North Texas, specifically the DFW market. So what's cool about that is that causes a natural process of diffusion as well. Once those that market continues to get overpriced because of the demand and the supply issues down there, right? It's still short on supply, still high on demand. And a lot of people that haven't moved yet, here's another trend that's going on that's significant with where I bought off of a market imbalance. My area is traditionally the retiree area. It's a place where a lot of the people come to put them up for however many years, right? One of the nicest lakes around. But what you're seeing right now is not only have millennials failed to move, right? The boomers didn't move out when they thought they would. Um, sorry, boomers, not millennials. The boomers have failed to move and retire out and move away when they thought that they would. And they've been realizing all of these values. And the millennials haven't been able to cover down and become homeowners in the places they traditionally resided, right? 
So we're in a weird market where I think actually a couple things could happen. I think that we're going to continue to see improvement um, here as far as jobs and other things announced, which is going to be a big boost to uh, demand, right? Um, from there, we're going to see people, retirees, continuing to come to this area as they always have. And then three, the national trend that's occurring right now. I had one post that went over like a thousand comments, which is only significant in that it gives you a good idea of what people are thinking. But I asked people, how far do you live from your home? And then after they answered that, I'd ask them another follow-up, will you ever go back? A lot of people are going home. Technology is a disruptor. Technology, I think, is going to finish what the industrial revolution in manufacturing desperately wanted to but never had hopes of. I think tech unites the flower states, and it also gives a location um, and a capability to these companies that need to bring that type of uh, functionality to their operations in these small towns. So I think a lot of people are migrating back. I think there are people migrating out of big markets to smaller markets because of affordability. So that's why I'm planting my flag. But I think it's really interesting because, man, over the next, I think, five to ten years, especially in these small towns, I think middle America has a chance to respond back. Middle America isn't, uh, I don't think, urban, predominantly urban-based. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, your guys that are more rural or suburban markets, uh, not necessarily your hot urban centers. And so I think the middle middle class specifically has an opportunity to rebound depending on a couple of things where they buy and how they use real estate. <laughs> no. So my alarm clock, I have a six o'clock alarm just in case I like somehow sleep through everything else, even though I haven't in forever. It's been going off for like seven minutes. But as long as you can't hear it, I just wanted to make sure like wasn't interrupting you because I can hear it. No, man, I got nothing. Cool. Then I'm going to just forget this entire piece happened. But that's so, you're right. And the technology world, man, there's so much stuff changing. I mean, people are able to work, to keep your California home. job and move to Texas and your that's employer right. might not care. Right. And that's, I mean, that's oh, California tax people will care. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine the, the implications? I think they call it what location arbitrage where you can live somewhere super affordable and be paid like you don't. So I have a friend, uh, you know, and he's eventually going to be on the show, but he does uh, blogging and YouTubing and stuff. So he has an online business, right? So he gets paid the same amount no matter where he lives. Yeah. And they lived in the Midwest somewhere, not super expensive, but his wife's from Columbia. They moved down to Columbia for the last like three years. He's living like a king for a third the price and he's making the same paycheck. And he's, I mean, spending like nothing, you know, compared to what he was. And then he's going to come back to the States after a few years and he's built this entire like huge retirement nest egg and he's going to be good. And yeah. I, I mean, that just opened so many opportunities and you're, so you're right. People are going back to where they're from, where they're familiar, where they have family because they can still work doing what they want and they can afford to live easily somewhere, somewhere comfortable. Yeah. And that makes all the difference in the world. Even if you can't pick up additional revenue, but you can cut costs. Hey man, that, that at least opens up a little bit of spread for people. So interesting to trends to continue to watch It's significant for what I do because man, it's all about supply and demand. Like something has value because it has desire. Right. And I don't think that's changing with a single family occupancy home, you know, for, for quite some time, multifamilies as well, small multis, a lot of veterans, in my opinion, their biggest tool getting out of the military and transitioning, their most likely thing to help build them reliable wealth is their VA home loan and a home that they do some due diligence on and purchase. And if you're listening to this and you are like, well, okay, that's great. What's due diligence? Read a book out there called Emerging Real Estate Markets by a guy named David Lindahl. 
Um, and I say this just because it's a great book that points out the, and there are other ones I'm sure, but I like this guy. Um, he writes pretty well as far as readability goes. And it points out things from a very man on the street you know, perspective. So all the Marines out there with tra- crayons dripping out the corner of their mouths will be able to get it too, guys. So don't worry. It's not complicated. <laughs> uh, but what it will do is it will help you to understand and see the changes and the things that occur that are dominoes, one, two, three, that lead to something happening. Like you can put 20 Marines in a formation and some something happens over here and it may be seemingly insignificant to everyone on earth, but all 20 Marines start laughing because they know what the domino effect is four orders down the chain, whether the guy stuck his hands in a pocket beside somebody else or whatever it is. The point being, you see what you see when you see it, right? And if you can't see something, especially around real estate, buying, markets, like ask, reach out and ask as well, because it's really not that hard. And it's something that each and every veteran can use to change their wealth profile. I, you know how many, you know how many trust fund babies I knew in the Marine Corps? Mm. None, man. Hell, <laughs> all the Marines were broke. Like, I, like I, the you know, I, 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 I made all of the mistakes. Got the right. tires. I got the motorcycle. Like you didn't get the officers over there. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm an officer. I'm like, what do you do? It's like I sell crack. No, not really. They don't sell crack, <laughs> folks. But uh, like, I don't know. I never met any massively wealthy people in the military and so based off of that i would think that it's pretty important for a lot of people to try to change that unless they just don't want to be massively wealthy yeah we spend all this money and all these crazy interest rates on things that depreciate extremely fast and then we get nervous about buying real estate and you know i don't don't think the old the old adage buy a house at every duty station i think couldn't be more more wrong because I, I agree people get burned by that. But I, I think agree. that if you buy an investment, you know, at maybe not every duty station, cause some markets just don't make sense. But if you're smart about it, I mean, that's a huge benefit. I agree a hundred percent. When I was in uh, North Carolina, I didn't buy a house there because it was 2006. I bought an investment property somewhere else and had other people's funds in it too. So it wasn't as risky for myself. Not that I've bought anything in Jacksonville, anyways. I don't want to go back. <laughs> Place is wonderful. <laughs> no, right? Oh, it's, it's actually it's funny. I actually was going to request orders there this last go round because, uh, you know, after being in Hawaii for three years, like okay, well, I'm going to get some get sent somewhere crappy. I'd rather be in Lejeune than Okinawa. Although, I mean, I would I would love to go back to Okinawa, but my wife was like, hell no. Um, yeah. And so I was getting ready to request. Jacksonville, you know, go back. And I was like, eh, real estate's affordable. We'll, we'll see. I'll figure something out. And uh, I called the monitor up and he, I was going to tell him, you know, he's like, Hey, how does uh, Del Mar sound? I'm like, you want to send me where? He's like, yeah, Camp Pendleton. Are you cool with like being right by the beach in Camp Pendleton for the next couple of years? And I was like, this isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get two good locations and like back to back. You're supposed to get screwed after Hawaii. So I, I kept my mouth shut and here I am. But, um, if Marines are good at one thing, it's getting screwed, man. They get screwed better than anybody I know. <laughs> oh, man. And we do it to ourselves half the time. Like, yeah. Debt piece. And it's like, I'm, so I'm a command financial specialist, right? I've gone through the course. And at my last unit, I held the billet for a little while. And you do all these. Uh, the military's command financial specialist program is a wonderful tool that only gets utilized when somebody screws up and their sergeant is like, 
Oh, yeah. man. We got to make you go talk to the wizard guy over here and see if he can fix what you did. It's never like, oh, I'm going to go buy a car. Let me ask this guy for advice. It's always, hey, how do I get out of this 32% interest on this Mustang? And you're like, how did you even get into that? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I've seen, I've never seen higher than like 22%, but supposedly the people on base saw like a 31% interest rate on a car and like basically went and negotiated with the company. Like you, you screwed this guy, but it's nuts sometimes what guys will, or girls will get themselves into because it looks cool. Yeah. And they don't have a clue what they're getting into, man. They're, they're just looking to spend some money on something that makes them feel good. Yeah. And it's like you said, debt's, you know, debt's like fire. I like that analogy. I always just say debt's a tool, but I think the fire is a better, I mean, because fire is a tool. And it's one when you think about it, it's like, like, and this is what I try to tell people with a bunch of big student loans or other debt that they're not sure how they're going to get on top of, um, or even the vets out there that have a foreclosure or something against part of their entitlement. And the forest, you know, when they have a massive forest fire, they're not out there fighting it with water. They're not flying in from the ocean over and over planes with hordes and hordes of water. They drop in hot shots, right? These hot shots cut a clear line, a safety zone. And then they light a big fire back at it. So all these people with student loans or guys out there that have missing portions of their entitlement because of a default or other large, you know, debts that are kind of growing i think the fastest way to deal with that stuff is by lighting a clear line burning back towards it right save your reserves creating a pool of debt maintenance that you'll have for a year or two for all your debt maintenance as fast as you can right and then at the same time cut your be cutting your clear line and get ready to back burn with buying an asset that's likely to appreciate using the instrument of debt and everyone thinks money makes the world go round. it's the biggest lie you've ever been told there's far more money, debt than there is money. Um, it's, it's a larger currency. It's more efficient. It's the one that can do something with nothing, right? With a zero down VA home loan kind of a thing. It's the stronger tool. Like you would never think about picking a shovel up and using it if it didn't have a handle on it. If it was just a spade and you had to dig a, a ditch with it, like that would be stupid, right? <laughs> Leverage is not so different. You just have to learn how to do it safely. And it's not that hard. You just have to know how to ask. So for anyone listening to this, if you don't know, like the, the rock says you better call somebody, man. 903-815-7537. I don't even care if I make money from helping you. I'll answer your questions just so you don't get skylined and popped on the ridge. Yeah. What would you say, um, you know, if you had to give like one or two pointers for when you're looking for utilizing a VA loan, like what kind of things would you say are like red flags that someone should stay away from. Maybe that'll, I don't know. Here's the first thing I'll say is every single person listening to this message, if you're going to get a mortgage, go out there and shop and look for an independent mortgage broker. Here's the difference of what this is. Okay. As an independent mortgage broker, you know who I work for? The consumer. You. The consumer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks out there I can use. And their job is to provide my consumer with the best product. And I know this because I've already done this and created these other companies as a bank or as a mortgage bank or a, a, what we call a non-delegated bank, right? Um, either one of those situations, I have a warehouse line behind me, a big credit card for houses, and I fund all your loans on that warehouse line. But that warehouse line has special terms and conditions that all of these hundred people may not necessarily have. And this, I can send this or I can broker it to all of these people in that situation too. So what you have is you have steering that occurs, oops, to send it to your warehouse line, and ultimately that can remove options, create additional costs, and everything else. As an independent broker, 
I'm not captive. I, <laughs> I don't fall under your chain of command. Piss <laughs> off, sir. That's how I work as an independent broker of these companies. The owner of these companies don't work. Then I tell them to piss off. Sorry, I'm not working with y'all then. Until I hold an industry accountable to the standards that ought to be served for the consumer. And that's incredibly important. So if you're a vet and you're looking for a mortgage, independent mortgage broker, if you go to these big companies, here, here's what I'll tell you. The bigger the billboard, the bigger the zapping. Guys, they are bug zappers. That's what those billboards are. That's what the marketing is. All of them. They all overcharge. If they have veterans or something vet exclusive or USA or something in their name and they're massive and national, I guarantee it's not even... It's comical at this point. Bring me something called a loan estimate and I'll show you how comical it is, but avoid them. And here's why they're going to rob some of your future by the cost that make, they make you carry presently, right? That's a great tool, but it must be incredibly efficient in order for it to accomplish you what it needs to. And that's freeing up your money. So the offense can go compound. Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He didn't say amortized interest, even though there's some compounding there negatively. And the reason why was Einstein was concerned with the ability to grow. He wasn't concerned with cost in the, in the wake of growing. So y'all need to understand this too. And you, under, you need to understand that growth is more important. And if you can free up your values, your monies by not putting them down, right? And you can assess all of these things. So you're buying a house with the right metrics then your, your monies can do the offensive things. You've heard people say defense wins championships. Bull crap. Not unless they're doing offensive-minded things. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe your D gets two pick sixes and runs them in, but that's an offensive move. Like, good on them. It's not how it works in the Marine Corps, right? We're not a, a trench force. Everyone loves the Marine Corps because, like, point and whack. Like, that's what they do. They go, you know, they go get them. And that's what your values need to be doing for you in order to propel you forward financially. Yeah, I love, I love that, the independent mortgage broker. So it sounds as though an independent, independent mortgage broker is like the equivalent to mortgage loans that a portfolio, like kind of more portfolio lender type, type benefit where you can, you're, you're making the decision essentially, you're not having to conform to what DC is telling you or wherever the headquarters. No, not necessarily. So portfolio lenders create stuff out of thin air and they service it usually against their deposits that they take from people like you and me when we go into the bank and give them our money on Friday payday, right? So portfolio lenders, those guys are servicing and there's some other stuff out there too. They kind of go around that. Uh, but VA loans, they have to fit in the box in order to do it. And if you don't, then it's not a sellable loan and it can create a problem for you or your warehouse line or somebody, right? Basically. Yeah. Um, so as a broker, a portfolio lender is creating their one channel kind of a thing like, hey, you fit in here, hop in. So still they can make any decision they want on it. Not that they will, right? A broker, the difference for me is where 10 companies may have like, here's a vet Veterans United, right? They say that you can't do, or they don't do loans below a 620. I think USA is probably there also. Well, a VA loan doesn't actually declare a low minimum FICO. That's the loan that they want to do. They're cherry picking what they want to do. Yeah. And they leave a lot of veterans to believe their entitlements won't do another thing, which is false. So as an independent broker, I don't write or have specific overlays that come in and say, oh, you can't do that, right? Like it's like the commander, staff sergeant, gunny, company, like all those people, series O, they can all add 15 minutes to how early you have to show up to formation so that you're there four hours early for some <laughs> stupid. Well, it's, Overlays work the same. Uh, for the 
right? Yeah, yeah, too close to home, right? <laughs> like everyone adds their 15 minutes. That way everyone's pissed off and, and early. But that's the way these companies can do it. They can add overlays to the risk uh, to make it a little more stringent depending on certain things and the warehouse lines do it. Um, or they can go straight to what the VA says off of automated underwriting or whatever it is. But most companies don't do that because there's an additional risk there. And so they declare to the veteran that they can't do it, which is false. So if you go to an independent mortgage broker, all you vets out there and all, all you anybody's out there, here's the truth of the matter. I'm liberated. No one holds me captive. All of these companies vie for my business by how well they serve you how well their interest rates, their costs and their fees, price compared to their competitors. So many different things matter to whether or not as a mortgage professional, I helped or show them as an option for you uh, given your circumstances, because that's my job. It's to line up the perfect scenario. Grownups tailor their clothes. Why not their mortgages, right? Debt's a currency reverse engineered. You have to have years in history for the debt instrument. And if you don't know, or you're not working with someone that understands how to plan two years in the past, then all you're going to end up doing is like we said earlier, it's like I ask people, do you know how to plan for your debt need? Or are you just saving money and hoping? Because that's the strategy most people deploys. And when it comes to the biggest purchase of your life, the most likely thing to yield you a wealth change from your current status, saving money and hoping sounds pretty stupid to me. Oh man, I agree. All right, well, I'm going to roll into some of the questions I normally ask. And uh, so one, one of the first ones here is I always ask, uh, you know, if anyone E2 was to walk up to you asking you for financial advice, what would be the, you know, if you had only a few minutes to give them your best tip, what would you give them? Don't give me a hundred foot of flat line and I'll tell you. <laughs> Blinker fluid. Yeah, because like uh, the first, but here's why, because I want to see if they're going to go try to do something stupid to get the value. The E1s and E2s are really stupid and they might not be worth it. <laughs> Um, and, and they only to say they may not be ready to learn it yet. Mm. Like if they're like, if they're ready to go look for some freaking flat line or some rotor wash or an ID 10 T form or whatever it is, if they've got that sort of passion bigger, then I would put a lot of time, energy and effort into them. The first thing I'll tell them to do though, once they do that task is don't spend and blow all your money guys. You have an opportunity to save, to create a functional liquid reserve that will act as your liquid reserve for the rest of your life. Do something with it. Don't spend it. Even if you can't afford the bigger things that come second, third, fourth order down the road, start the basic steps. Get some money set aside that you do not use or spend for anything. Quit spending dumb monies on cars, clothes, all of those things that you didn't get for three months in boot camp and now you want to spend like you're you know, never going to have money ever again. If you don't save what you have now, right, so that you can invest it, so that you can provide security with it, then you're not going to have anything that can grow. That's huge. I love it. And that's what I wish I'd done at a, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Uh, for those of you listening who don't understand the Marine Corps isms going on here and did not pick up on that, the, uh, those are all running jokes because those are things that are not probably acceptable anymore because people complain about hazing. But uh, like when we joined the Marine Corps, the ID10T form, which if you write on a piece of paper spells out the word idiot, is something that you got sent running around the motor pool or wherever looking for as well as uh, what's the other good one that used to be. Oh, pricky, the pricky six. Pricky seven, pricky pricky six. six. So you walk around looking for a pricky seven, which is basically saying, where's that asshole gunny, but you're asking the gunny without knowing that you're asking the gunny. So 
Um, keys to the Hummer. Hummers <laughs> don't have keys. All these things that we used to do. To mess Five gallon bucket of rotor wash. Rotor wash is the air that comes out from under the blades of a helicopter. Flight line is oh. actual tarmac where the freaking planes take off. You can't bring someone a hundred foot of that more than likely. <laughs> I mean, shoot, if the kid shows up with it, you're right. He's ready. He's to probably work. a marine. He like chewed the concrete out. He's like, I got your fire. <laughs> like, I knew it was an idiot joke, but ha. <laughs> That's how you know he's a marine. Like they, oh man. To do it, but. I love it. So yeah, so that was the that was the joke there. If you couldn't figure out why I was laughing about flight line, but um, oh man, that's awesome. Hey, so are there any uh, like what's a book resource course? I know you mentioned the um, oh I wrote it down here. What uh, uh, where my notes are terrible. It's like I'm a marine. Uh, emerging real estate markets, but what you know? Are there any other resources you would recommend to people looking to get invest in or utilize VA loan? I would say that book's a great place to start first because it's going to help you to understand the market. Investing with a market is as significant as understanding the tide when you're trying to launch your boat in the ocean. If you don't, you're probably going to have a rough time, right? It's just how it works. Other books that are out there that are really good to read. Um, if you're looking to get into real estate investing specifically, I think it's incredibly important for each person to have a large liquid reserve. I hate cash because cash does one thing daily. Constantly loses value and it's always going to inflation assures it, right? The interest rates and what they do to re-soak up margin of money they create after it's been effective or useful to people um, brings it back. But there's a book out there called Confessions of a CPA, The Truth About Life Insurance. I was not a life insurance fan. I didn't believe in the product. I argued against it until I had basically vetted it so much using a couple different sources that I just couldn't again anymore. But it's something that a lot of people, while they're in the military and still have a better health rating and are younger and they have large swings of money, it's something that could come into play, especially if they want to own real estate, um, because you're going to need a large functional liquid reserve, in my opinion. That's the place where most people fail to prepare, is reserve assets, where they'll have assets that they think are reserves that they end up spending and they think it's a temporary expense. That's not reserves. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I'll, I'll definitely have to check out that book. All right, before we wrap things up, you got any uh, anything you'd like to add? Any parting, uh, parting advice or big ideas? Parting advice or big ideas to the, the ones who made it this deep into the podcast. <laughs> you'd be I would say, here's my big idea. I think each house should make me around half a million at least. I think my current house may do a little bit better than that. If that sounds like something you think, then get in touch with us reach out, talk, talk to David. He's available. He will be wearing his Hawaiian shirt when you call and he will be ready to grab one of those paddles off the wall and come find you like paddle over to you. Right? <laughs> but if you think houses should make you wealthy, you're correct. You're right. Don't be talked off of it. Don't let someone discourage you. Don't let your buddy's story of how he bought his place and man, the market sucked and I lost my money. Your buddy's probably an idiot. <laughs> Or you've caught a bad wave in the market, but don't fight the data. 44X, Grant Cardone's out there selling 10X. The average homeowner, I've already told you, is 44 times wealthier than the average renter. Study after study show, that's a Census Bureau number. Like Harvard's put out studies. It should happen. You should plan for it. And as veterans, with a VA loan, there's no better opportunity than buying a house. As long as you make things, as long as you make certain things are right, then you have an opportunity to change your life, guys. 
a poor kid from Texas. Dad still frames houses today. He's coming over here in about an hour because he's got to help me carry a couch to my new office, right? But didn't have a lot growing up. It's different now. Houses did that for me. That's awesome. That's huge. Awesome. Well, Chris, where can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach out? I'm all over Facebook like a 13-year-old girl, man. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't find me on Facebook, my cell phone number is 903-815-7537. My email is Christopher at DebtDoesDeals.com. Love it. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us today. This has been awesome. I look forward to, uh, I mean, shoot, I'm going to have to reach out to you here when I go back towards the Midwest. Yeah, man. Give me a holler as soon as you get a chance and I'd love to help you out however I can, man. I appreciate you sharing some of your story with me, having me on your podcast and I hope it was valuable to your audience. Oh, it absolutely was. This is huge. Awesome, man. Great chatting with you, brother. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes Now get out there and take action.